I love it. Amen. God's good. God's good. So how, how, amen, how are we going to get involved in this? If anybody wants to give to the project, I'll tell you, we're not going to receive a special offering today. Here's what I want you to do. Go online to uh, PugetSoundFoursquare.com, and if you would like to be involved in that process of doing that, then go ahead and just hit click the Give button. Go to the tab that says Building Fund, and you'll get it there. Amen? Come on. Amen. Hey, uh, right here, I don't know if you know what these are. Uh, many of you know. Uh, these are uh, blueprints. How many of you guys know blueprints, right? Blueprints. There's nothing fancy about blueprints. The blueprints are these, uh, blueprints are just basically, you know, these things that kind of tell us, you know, what, where things are supposed to go. Blueprints tell us uh, where the wall's supposed to stand and where the bathrooms are supposed to be. Blueprints are just a great plan. These are blueprints from, from the building out of this church 30 years ago. These are blueprints that were here. There's, there's nothing fancy about these blueprints. They're just, they're just a, an instruction sheet for where to put things. Or is that all that blueprints are? You see, because when I look at these blueprints, if you listen close enough to these blueprints, you might see more than just instructions on how to build a facility. See, if you listen closely to the instructions on this, on this blueprint, if you listen closely to the, 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 the letters and the lines and the numbers, you start to hear things. You start to hear a message. You start to hear a plan. You start to hear more than just concrete nails and screws and electricity. You start to hear a plan come together about changing the lives of individual people. You see, when I look at these blueprints, if you listen close enough, you begin to hear of changed lives, of healed marriages. If you listen close enough to these blueprints, you begin to see the hand of God saying, I want to transform this industrial building into a place that will worship me, a place that will give me all the glory and honor. See, I don't know if you realize it or not, but there was a blueprint written for you. There was a blueprint written for you. There was a a designer behind you. There was something about you that God intended long ago. That he made plans for you. And he said, I I have a a plan prepared for you. And and if if you just look at it at face value, all you see is God creating a human being. But if you look long enough at the plan, you begin to see somebody who is filled with life whose intent and purpose is to give life and to be somebody who will transform a world because God sent each of us out to do that. You see, I believe God has given each of us a plan and one of the places where I think his plan is is come out more clear than ever is in the area of family. I think God had a plan to reach a lost and dying world. And one of the ways he intended to reach this lost and dying world was, I think, through the institution of family. I think many of us forget the power of family. We're in the middle of a, of a six-week series entitled As One. Where we're talking about the unity and the power and the, and the purpose of family. I think the purpose of family, I think there was a blueprint in family. And the blueprint, was, the, the blueprint for family was far more than just creating a place for people to have babies. I think the blueprint for family was about giving us purpose and, a, and quite frankly, a message to a lost and dying planet. 
And I believe he wanted to use the institution of family to communicate a message. So if you'll join me, let's pray and ask God to show us today what he has in his word. God, thanks for your grace. Thank you for family. God, thank you for your glory and your honor. I'm so thankful for who you are. Lord, I pray today that I would do justice to a message on family. Have your way, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the original plan for family? I believe family, God intended two things for every family. Two things. One, that we would form an identity in family. And two, that God would reveal himself in and through and by family. I think God wanted to form our identities in family. I don't know if you realize that or not, but your identity was formed, like it or not, through the context of family, whether you were in a great family or a poor family, a a, a strong family or a weak family, a Christian family or a non-Christian family, God used family to really begin to form your identity. It's like me, I'm a middle child, right? Middle of five kids. And so my my uh, I'm like Peter Brady, right? No, no, I'm like I'm like Danny from the Partridge family, right? Minus the red hair. Now, some of you who are under 30 are like, who are they, right? Yeah. <laughs> Pork chops and applesauce. Let me tell you, I, I can tell you, right, that there's something about this middle child thing that I had going on growing up, right? You know, it's funny because the, the middle child, if you ever look up middle child and do some research on that, um, I, I don't really fit. But nevertheless, I, I'm, I have the middle child problem where I have an older brother and an older sister. And, and, and I can tell you in the context, I always thought my brother, my, my, if you've ever seen my big brother, I'm, I'm about six foot three something, and, and he's like not, right? So my big brother, uh, it's funny though, though he, he says to me, uh, Lance, I, he said he remembers when I was 18, I was playing college football, and, and I came home for some break or something, and uh, he said that he jumped on me because he was going to wrestle me to the ground. And, and all I remember, he said, he said, Lance, all I remember is you, me jumping on you, trying to tie you into a knot, a wrestling match. And, and you sat there and you stood up with me on your back. And you said, Lance, you looked at me and said, are you done? <laughs> I don't remember that at all. I, I seriously don't. I wish they did. Uh, but I don't. But, but he said, uh, it was that day that I realized that uh, you could take me. And I was like, wait, you realize I could take you? See, because when you're the little brother, it doesn't matter how big or how small your brother is, your big brother can always take you. I didn't tell him that. But, but I'm telling you, right, little brothers always have that, right? There's an identity formed in the context of family. It's not just about wrestling matches and who's stronger or who can arm wrestle, right? It's more than that. God's intent for family was to help reveal to you your identity in the world. He wanted you to realize who you are, young lady, and and who you are, young man, and that you can do all things through Christ that gives you strength, and there is no weapon formed against you that will prosper. You see, he intended family to be that place that we would learn it all. God intended family to be this safe institution that there would be, from morning up to, to sundown, the hand of God and blessing upon all of your activities. How did it go for you? See, because we live in a broken world, we have broken families. You see, no wonder the enemy has tried everything he can to distort the family. 
God's intent was for us to discover who we are, a safe place to try stuff, uh, an environment where you could reach out and find out who you really were and have people cheer you on and say, way to go. See, not only family was a place to find your identity, but family was a place that God wanted you to discover who he was. God was, so family was the, the, the institution that God wanted to begin to reveal himself to you to show you his faithful, loving, caring, forgiving arms, to help you understand discipline and what it really is all about, to help you see the character and the, the, the weightiness of the words that come from your mouth. Message got a little confused, didn't it? Those two messages, the original plan for family, for God to reveal us and our identity and for him to reveal himself not only to us but to a lost and dying world see the world wants to find out who God is and God was hoping that he could show himself to the world through our families I can tell you this right now the enemy has done everything he could to try to everything he can or everything he could to try to confuse um, distort twist, uh, re-identify what the family really is. The devil's been doing it from the very beginning with Cain and Abel. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel, remember they were the first sons of Adam and Eve? Remember Cain, he offered a sacrifice to God and Abel offered what was called a better sacrifice. It was the, a, a pure and holy sacrifice of his first fruits. And the Bible says that Cain was filled with the spirit of the devil at some point and literally took on the lies of the devil and ended up murdering his brother out of jealousy. From the very beginning, the very first family, it was, it was twisted and contorted and distorted and messed up. Family's intent to identify who we are and family's intent to communicate God to us and us to communicate God to the world has been so confused. How many of you stayed up and watched the royal wedding? Raise your hand high, brothers. Don't tell me you didn't, right? Come on, I, I'm, a, I'm a hopeless romantic. I watched it too, come on. Bill, you watched it, I know you did. There we go. <laughs> My wife recorded it, and it was so funny. Uh, it was so funny. My wife recorded it, and uh, we, so, so yesterday, she had attempted to watch it about nine times. She got distracted. My, my granddaughter was over, so she got distracted. So it kept on, it kept on replaying over and over again, right? And it was, it was so weird, man, because I kept on hearing this, uh, the, I was, I was writing, working on this, and, and every now and again, I could hear when my headphone batteries would die, <laughs> I could hear the, the I want to say commentators, but the people who were doing all the yapping before the wedding and after the wedding, they kept on trying to uh, talk about uh, Meghan Markle, and they would say, you know, she was the, uh, the biracial divorced woman. Biracial divorced woman who's getting married. And I'm like, I don't know how or why or what she got divorced from. I don't know. We don't know. I, I don't even, I didn't care. It wasn't a thing. I'm assuming that that church got to the bottom of it before that happened. But nevertheless, all I know is this, is that they kept on trying to define her as something she wasn't. I was like, will you just let her be a bride? Just a beautiful bride. Just a beautiful bride who's being married to who, her, her groom, her husband, whatever. And I feel like the, the world is just fighting. The world wants to know. The world wants so desperately to try to determine what family really is. Even if we can set some sort of a, 
a false picture of it somewhere, called them royals. We just want to know because there's something about family that everyone is attracted to. People want to be involved in it. And if you're not involved in a, a nuclear family right now, but you call this your church home, then you're involved in a family, my sister. This is your home. These are your people. You're involved in family. This is your church family, my brother. This is it. You get to be a part of family here. God wants to reveal your identity here in this family. God wants to show you who he is here in this family. You see, I think there's a message that God wants to speak through family. I think God's plan all along was to speak to the world through family. I think he wants to so clearly, there's so much about family that he wants to begin to say, hey, look at us, look at this, right? And that's why family gets so messed up, right? We get pride and arrogance and sin and craziness, all gets mixed up into family, and the message gets confused. God's plan was is that we would find the wholeness and forgiveness and healing in family. I love how God, I wasn't raised in such a great family, but I can tell you that since then to now, that God's done some amazing healing in me. One through the church, because I had spiritual parents who challenged me like Pastor Ryan. I had spiritual mamas who came in and said, I'm on my knees for you, Ayako, man. She was a woman who, he, she still prays for me. She's a, she's a woman who said, Lance, I will pray for you until I die. I, I mean, let me tell you, when you have someone say that about to you, they're getting after it. I'm telling you, I, I believe with all my heart, she, the, any success I could possibly have, it's attributed first to her because she is a praying woman. I'm telling you, because I'm in family. And family is where I learn my identity. And family is where I find out who God is. And for me to share his message to the world. You see, I think family is this place where there's a, a massive message that happens. Not only to us, but to people watching us. In fact, I think there's a lost and dying world hungry for the message of family. Hungry for the message of hope that comes through family. Listen to what it says. A couple of weeks ago, as I was, uh, I was writing a sermon about the normal Christian life out of 1 Peter I really felt like the Lord, uh, she, like he whispered to me. He said, Lance, I have a word that I want to share with you today, which was a couple of weeks ago. And, and, and I feel like, you know, when you're reading your Bible, I don't know if that happens to you, but I read my Bible and I feel like the Lord say, don't forget your place in this passage because I want to say something else to you after you're done all the preaching you're going to be doing out of this. So two weeks ago, I preached the message, came home. We did Mother's Day last week. And I feel like the Lord say, Lance, I got something else I want you to say. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Peter. First Peter. You know the devil hates family, right? You know why the devil hates family so much? Because he'll never have one. The devil hates family, man. He hates it because he can never have one. You see, you were created in the image of God. The devil can't create life like you can. He hates you because you look like God. You're just the path of least resistance to him. And he wants to mess with us at every level. Hmm. First Peter. Let me give you a little background. I told you this before, but I think it bears repeating. First Peter was actually not written to non-believers. It was actually written to the church. First Peter was a, a letter written to Christians. It was a letter written to Christians. Peter was the apostle who would really oversee all of the apostles, and he wrote this letter to Christians to encourage them. Why? Because they were, <coughs> quite frankly, discouraged. <coughs> excuse me, Christians were having a hard time. 
It was in a, it was in a, a, a place in time where Emperor Nero was that weird dude who was just, he was lust hungry for land. And, and in Rome, Nero decided that he wanted to literally expand his kingdom, but there was no more available land. So the only way Nero could do it was to start, well, light the city on fire and burn up everyone's houses so he could take over their land. The crazy thing about Nero, even though he was an absolute loon, he wasn't all that dumb because there was a part of him that he knew something. He decided that he would blame the burning of Rome on Christians because Christians were the ones that were saying, hey, one day this world is going to end up in flames anyway. And so he took that and ran with it and said, listen, you Christians are the ones that started this fire. They're trying to get the end of time to come. So let's kill them. So all of Rome turned into persecution of Christians. Started to crazy, I mean, burn them in oil alive. Crucify them until they died. It was, dump pitch on them, light them on fire, and t- tie them to a stake. Put them on a rack until their, bony, their body parts came apart. Literally because their houses were burned. There were people whose, whose families were killed. There were people who, who lost stuff. And so literally Nero was like, it was all a Christian's fault. Get them. So there was this massive persecution that happened. And many tried to flee. Some of them did. Peter writes this. Peter knowingly writes this. Nero was a crazy dude, but listen, as, as Peter writes this, his own wife was being killed, whether she was done before this or after this, but his wife was actually crucified on a cross. And he writes this. It's crazy to me when I read the message of hope that Peter writes in the middle of the crazy dynamics that he's dealing with. But listen to what Peter said with that as a backdrop. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 1. All honor to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is by his boundless mercy that God has given us, get this, the privilege of being born again. The privilege of being born again. The privilege of suffering. The privilege of taking it on the chin. The privilege of this horrific persecution. He goes on to say, Now we live with a wonderful expectation because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Peter goes on into chapter 2 to talk to them about living lives that were exemplary, living lives that were godly. He, 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 he addresses them initially as foreigners in the land. And he writes to these Christians who have literally been dispersed. A lot of them, he said, from Cappadocia. Uh, he goes into this, uh, these different cities that a lot of them had fled to. And he says, listen, guys, you're all foreigners in the land that you're in right now. Don't forget your walk with God. And so Peter begins to write this as a a word of encouragement and tells them, I know you probably lost family. I know you probably lost through this persecution, this crazy thing that's going on. Don't forget God. In fact, he says, here's how to walk godly in the middle of this persecution. See, it almost seems like it would have made more sense for Peter to say, doesn't it stink? Isn't this unfair? Ah, this crazy Nero, I'll tell you, he's nothing but a worthless leader. And then tweet it. That's what he should have done, right? He should have just, he should have just text messaged all of his friends and said how terrible and horrible. Because that's what we would do. We would post it on our Instagram feed. We would do all the things we could to say how bad it crazy is. You know, Peter didn't do that. All Peter said was, there's a privilege. There's a privilege to being born again. There's a privilege to walking in this suffering. Have you forgotten the privilege of what you call yourself as a Christian? Have we forgotten the privilege of suffering? 
Oh, it's a horrible thing, right? I mean, we read about Paul. Paul, who was an apostle, who, who was shipwrecked and, and had rocks thrown at him unto death, not once but twice, literally was left for dead. Uh, and Paul was thrown into prison. He was whipped, lashes, literally flogged in a lot of ways. And, and I'm telling you all the craziness, right? And we look at Paul's life, and he just says, God is so good. God is so good for the grace of God that saved me, Paul says. Have you forgotten the privilege of suffering for Christ? See, most of us actually think the suffering that we walk through is the devil. And he's just messing with us. And somehow when that happens, our job then is to run instead of stand under it and begin to praise God in the midst of it. The journey of the course with the courage and the strength. Let me tell you, if you read the end of this book, going to get hard. If you read the end of this book, this persecution they experienced, going to happen again. My question for us is, is, will we run to him or from him? Hmm. Go over to chapter 2, verse 11. Peter writes, Dear brothers and sisters, you are foreigners and aliens here. I warn you to keep away from evil desires because they fight against your very souls. Be careful how you live among unbelieving neighbors. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will be honorable. They will see your honorable behavior, and they will believe and give honor to God when He comes to judge the world. For the Lord's sake, accept all authority, the king as head of state, and the officials that He has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish all who do wrong and to honor those who do right. Verse 15, it is God's will that your good lives should silence those who's foolish, who, who make foolish accusations against you. You're not slaves, you're free. But your freedom is not an excuse to do evil. Rather, your freedom is to live as God's slaves. Show respect for everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and show respect for the king. Well, I don't know how... how, how uh, how great that text message would go on your whatever feed. I don't know. I challenge one of you to quote, post this up. Honor the government. You know, I read this, this passage of Scripture, and just loud and clear I hear the Lord just saying, this is the message I have for families. Live honorably among your unbelieving neighbors so they'll watch you and come to me. See, we think we should preach louder. We think we should keep our kids from them because they're weird. We, we think we should, we should, we should, we should, we should, and should, and should, and should. We think all this stuff, man, we get ourselves into a mess. You know, he really says right here, live in front of them. Look at what it says. I, I think there's a message that God wants to speak to us in family. I called it a family message. Number one, it's a message of purity. The world's longing for a message of purity. That's why I think it was so important for us to see, even though I know it was, it was all pomp and circumstance, but the message of purity. Polly said to me yesterday, she goes, Lance, you know what I loved about watching this Megan come up uh, on the, the deal? It, it, she said she dressed modestly. My wife, she goes, you know, and she didn't put crazy makeup on. And I don't know if you saw the, the wedding. It was beautiful. But there was, she goes, you just look like a beautiful woman who's waiting for her husband. There was something about the purity of that moment of a bride coming to her groom. 
Let me tell you this, the world is dying for that. The world's dying for someone to say it really works. The world's dying for someone, and again, well, don't get me wrong, that thing is crazy in and of itself, but the, the, the picture is, is, is what I want to point out. The world's looking for something that's authentic and real and pure. The world really wants to know that holiness is available because they see it in you. Do they see holiness in you? Do they see purity in you? How you put your foot on the bumper of your car and you talk to your neighbor about your wife. Do they see purity in that? Do they read the text messages about your husband that you post to say he's this or that or he shouldn't and he gives but he's not and or your kids, that they're a mess and they're making horrible decisions and everyone should know that it's not my fault, it's his fault. And we point out and uncover and make them look terrible. The world's longing for something to be pure and holy. Now, I'm not saying fake it. I'm saying God wants us to live right. I love it. The purity is all about living righteous before God. Now, now remember, it's funny because we get this righteous living thing backwards. Some of us think that righteous living is all about the outside of the cup. Jesus said here in Matthew 23, it said, you blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. See, literally what Jesus is saying here is you change your heart on the inside, and then your actions on the outside will probably change. We think if we change our outside activities and keep our hearts rotten, everything's going to be awesome. It will fool everyone. Fine, thanks, you. I'm great, you. And on the inside, not. He literally says, wash the inside of the cup. Get your heart right and pure before God. Live what's righteous. Confess your sin. Be holy and pure before him. And you watch your outside activities begin to change. You watch the, 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 the decisions that you used to live with and compromise with begin to change because you say, God, I want you to change me from the inside out. The world's hoping that it's real. They're hoping that it's real to you. They're hoping that purity and holiness is really real and righteousness is attainable because they're watching you. I, my wife and I, we, we had a, um, a neighbor one time and his family belonged to this crazy, I, I think it was a crazy church, quite frankly. It wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a Christian church, I can tell you that. Uh, but but they, they, they wanted so desperately for us to see family in their activity they would go out as a family, and they would, out as a family, they would mow the lawn together, and they would go out as a family, and they'd put the Christmas decorations up together. They'd go out as a family, they'd wash the car together. They'd go out as a family, and they would weed the garden together. They did all this stuff, and so from the outside, it looked like, these guys got it going on. And they looked over at my house, and I'm out there by myself. My kids are going, Dad, I'm not doing it. My wife's like, I'm not coming out there, right? <laughs> I'm like, we lose, they win, right? <laughs> the problem was is, I know the inside of their cup. And the inside of their cup was just so desperately hoping that we didn't see the inside because the outside was hopefully the message we all would get. And again, I, you don't have to know who they were. It doesn't matter. But the issue was is we spent so much time trying to make sure the outside of the cup looks good. They want to know purity. They want to know there's something pure about the inside of our hearts. Second message I think God wants the family to deliver is this. It's a message of honor. First Peter 2.13 says, For the Lord's sake, accept all authority. The king is a head of state. And the officials he has appointed, for the king sent them to punish all who do wrong and to honor those who do right. I'm going to level with you. This is a hard one. This is a hard one. Come on. 
Don't leave me out here alone. It's a hard one, right? You look at the, the, the state we live in, and, and you're just like, God, you, literally, you know, it says, it says, live among others righteously before the state. Does that mean that they're always right? No, not at all. I think it's important for us to note that God wasn't saying, here's what he was really trying to say. Over in the book of Romans, it says this. The Message Bible puts it this way. It says, be a good citizen, all governments under God, insofar as there is peace and order. It's God's order. So live responsibly as a, so, so live responsibly as a citizen. Listen to this. If you are irresponsible to the state, you will be irresponsible with God. And God will hold you responsible. That's all God was really trying to say through 1 Peter. It's the same thing. As you, as you live before the state, you'll live that way before God. What do I mean by that? That we're supposed to just write happy faces about our president and all the great things that we think is going on. No. He's saying honor and pray for those guys. Because I'll level with you. They got a road to hoe. And by the way, it says to honor all those that the state puts in front of us. Let me bring it, let me bring it home to you. How, how, you <laughs> how do you do with those little signs that are out near the road? They're about this big, about this big. They say two words on them, speed limit. <laughs> those were given to us by the state. They're there to keep us safe. If you are responsible to the state, then you will be irresponsible with God. Wait, so if I speed, that somehow it's going to show up in my walk with God? Yes. What if I just sneak a text in while I'm driving? If you're irresponsible with the responsibilities of the state, you'll be responsible with God. Yes. I'm convicted. I'm convicted. Say me too. <laughs> Don't leave me alone. Look at y'all looking at me all judgy and all. Come on. You speeding text. Stop it, right? I'm telling you, we all stand before God. He's literally saying this. Will you honor what I placed before you? Honor what I placed before you because it's important. God, literally, God's trying to say this. I just want you to see the big picture. Like I'm a God of order, and I want people to see in family honor. Pay your taxes for the love of heaven. Why? Because Jesus said to give Caesar what Caesar's. And finally, I'll close up with this. The family message is a message of freedom. 1 Peter 2.15 says, it's God's will that your good lives should silence those that make foolish accusations against you. For you're not slaves, but you're free. And your freedom is not an excuse to do evil. You're free to live as God's slaves. We're free. You're free to live this life out. The world's looking because the world is caught in bondage. The world is racked with fear. The world doesn't know up from down. And it's hoping that they can look at your lives and find a level of freedom. And find something there that's real. Are they seeing that when they watch your family? I think at the end of this message today, there's going to be a moment that I want to give us to just repent before the Lord, literally say, God, I'm sorry. I've not been walking the way you want me to walk. And I love it with you. I think I, I'm going to agree with you. I, I got to ask Jesus forgiveness for texting and driving. Come on. And for, for ignoring those little signs that look like this. 
that say two words on them. <laughs> Come on. Because I think there's something that God wants us to do. Is it just be perfect? No, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Literally, walk it out. What if no one's watching me speed or text when I'm driving? It'll show up because you're you, and you can't separate you from you. By the way, you bring you into your family. How are we doing? Righteousness and holiness. God wants us to live a life that's pure before him. And finally, Peter goes on, and I'm done. It says in verse 17, treat everyone, in the message translation, treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family, revere God, and respect the government. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. I love how the message translation says it. My son, he's a videographer. <clears throat> he, uh, he travels all over the world, makes videos. Yesterday, he sent, uh, so every now and again, he'll send us raw footage of stuff he does. So a couple of weeks ago, he was in Iraq, right? And, and my only connection to Iraq is when we send soldiers over there, you know, wherever over there is. I, I, I've not gone there, so I don't know what over there looks like. I have in my mind's eye what I think Iraq would look like and what Iraqi people are. I, I don't know, right? He was sent over there by some group of people to make a video. Now, here's what the video did. <clears throat> he, he sends us this video clip, and, and all it is is there's, there are people about, I don't know, six or eight feet from him, and there's like soldiers, right? And so soldiers, they're looking at the camera and like two seconds in, they smile. And then, then they, they go over to a businessman who's, who's got a suit on and he's looking at the camera and then two seconds in, breaks into a smile. And then there's like a mommy who, uh, the, the, this, old, the, this old grandma looking person and then she's all gruff and crumbly and then she looks at the camera and then she two seconds starts to smile. And over and over again, it, it, there's like 20 or 30 different little vignettes of these people who, 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 who and, and I said to him, I said, Jansen, I don't know what the video you made was for, but let me tell you what I got out of it. He goes, what? And I said, those are lovely people. I said, those are God people. I don't know if you read your Bible enough to know that Iraq was actually the place of Nineveh that Jonah was sent. Remember, Jonah was sent to Nineveh? It was crazy, right? And so what I saw in this whole video was this. My son got to communicate a message to me about the people that God still loves over there. See, because in my mind's eye, I wanted to say that's them. And we send people over there to them. And those them, they, those them, the, the, they, were, they, didn't, have, they didn't have faces to me. Now, some of you have your own personal experiences, and I let, let them be what they are, and forgive me if I've crossed the line for you, but I will tell you this. What I really want to hear is this, is that God wants you to learn to treat people with the same dignity. He wants you to love them for who they are because they are God's creation. God's intent was for you to realize the beauty that he made. Jonah got mad because he went and preached to Nineveh, and a bunch of people got saved, and he's like, I knew that would happen. I preached, and I knew you were going to save them. I don't like them, but you do, so there. It was a horrible way to evangelize, but it worked. What if your family was a message to lost and broken people that looked across the road at that family, that broken family, that, that, that family, that hurting family, that, that single mama, that, 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 that grandma doing her best, that dad who's living by himself because whatever, broken. And they're looking to your family saying, I hope that what you believe is for real. And that this walk with God thing you got is honorable and worthy of running hard after. 
That's the message of family. So let's take a minute and pray, can we? Jesus, this morning, some of us, I believe, need to do what I have to do is repent before you, God. Lord, forgive me for not honoring the authority that you placed over me and and quite, quite literally, God, messing with my testimony. So God, forgive me. If that's you this morning and you need the same, I pray that you just get right with God now. Just say, God, forgive me. Maybe the message in your family has been a confusing one. And you think it's all your wife's fault. You think it's all your, your husband's fault. You think it's all your kid's fault. Maybe you even blame it on your dad or your mom. There's always somebody. But right now, can we just take control of your part of that thing? And just say, Jesus, show me how to be the best version of me I can so that I can give you honor and glory in this role I play in this family. I need you a bunch, God. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Family.